Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of What The Bump. Today, I am super excited to be doing another kind of birth story, birth interview. We are going to have Christine on the podcast today. She is a certified personal trainer, really focusing on living a healthy lifestyle, both inside and outside of the gym. I have followed her on Instagram for quite some time, and I just love her content. She now especially has been focusing so much on like living a healthy lifestyle with being a mother, and she just posts amazing, really uplifting and positive content towards you know, motherhood and fitness and really how that kind of all ties together. So she's going to talk to us about her birth, her pregnancy, all that stuff with her new baby girl, Stella. Thank you for being here, Christine. I'm super excited to have you share your story. We actually met at F45. (laughs) If you remember, it's like a little workout studio in the city we live in. And I went for like a trial workout and I met you there. And then I followed you on Instagram and I've kind of kept up with your story ever since. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited to kind of have you here and actually hear your birth story. Yeah, I remember that meeting at F45 too, because I was also there on the trial and we got partnered together. And yeah, I've been keeping up with you ever since too. So super excited to be here. Yeah, so let's just start off. Tell me really briefly, like how you met your husband and how that started. Yeah. So my first job out of college was at a running store. I was doing marketing and um, sales for them. So those kind of stores where you go in and they like watch you run and all that. Um, I worked there and my now husband came in for a job interview, saw me in the parking lot and his cousin like happened to be in the car with him when he was like pulling up to the store. And he said to his cousin, I'm going to date that girl one day. (laughs) And then he ended up getting the job. Uh, We got to know each other over the course of a few months, just working together. And then one day he texted me, not asking me out saying, Hey, a few of my friends are going to get drinks at a nearby bar. You should come. And he didn't really give me a choice. So I went and we've just have been together ever since. Oh, awesome. Okay. How long were you guys married before you got pregnant? Uh, about two years. Okay. Awesome. So tell me, were you guys trying? Tell me kind of about what happened around finding out you were pregnant. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to wait about two years after we got married just because I really wanted us to have some married time together without having any kids and just use that time to travel and like do whatever we wanted to do. And then my best friend got married in Aruba in October of 2019. And I basically said, okay, that's the last thing that I need to um, not be pregnant for. (laughs) So as soon as that wedding is um, over, like we can go ahead and try. So I knew based on like when my cycle was and everything that I could start right before the wedding in October. And I wouldn't be like, technically pregnant yet uh, if I happened to get pregnant and I did so we came back from Aruba um, and a couple weeks later I was like hmm well my period hasn't shown up yet and I took a test on a Sunday and it came back negative and I was like oh well yes I'm not pregnant and then by the following Thursday I still hadn't got my period and I was like Mm, I don't know. Like I should have gotten it by now. And the night before I had gone out for sushi and drinks with friends, which was great. And then that morning I was actually, I went on to be a coach at F45 a few months after that trial. And I was working at F45 that morning. So I woke up at like 4.30 in the morning 
took the test right at 4.30 and screamed in the bathroom. And my husband was like, what is going on? And I was like, well, uh, I took another test and the result is different. So that was how we found out. I woke him up at 4.30 in the morning <laughs> with yeah, pregnancy so, test. So it only took you guys really one one try. And, okay, that's awesome. Were you guys were you on birth control or anything like that prior? Or were you guys just kind of playing? No, so I've never been on um, hormonal birth control. We've always just used condoms um, my entire life. So that's probably what led to it being a little on the easy side too. Right. That's awesome though. At least you got to go out with that sushi and <laughs> drink the two things you can't have while you're pregnant. You got to have right before. So that was, that's good. <laughs> exactly. It was a great way to go out with a bang. <laughs> so how was your pregnancy? I mean, just from the start, was your first trimester hard, easy? The first trimester was the hardest by a lot. So around the six week mark, I think it was, I started to have really serious food aversions and just feel like kind of nauseous all day. I never actually threw up, but I had just a constant feeling of nausea and constant feeling of just exhaustion. Um, I remember once I told people I felt really exhausted, they were like, oh, just wait until you have the baby. And they're like keeping you up at night. I swear the first trimester exhaustion was way worse than Stella waking me up in the night now because it's just like, there's nothing you can do about it. Like right now I can take a nap or like sleep when she's sleeping and it'll fix the problem. There is no amount of sleep that fixes the problem of like the fake, not fake, um, exhaustion that you feel in the first trimester. So I was very grateful when I got out of that. I also went from preparing salads for myself to bring to work for lunch every day to being unable to eat anything out of the refrigerator. Like if it was cold, I just could not eat it. So it was a rough period for my husband too. He was like, we went from eating all these things and like being in this routine. And now I have no idea what you want. You just want bread all the time. And <laughs> it, it was great when I finally came out of that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of women have that same aversion, especially I think the idea of taking something out of the fridge cold, almost like reminds you of a leftover. And when, you know, when you're in that first trimester, leftovers are like the enemy, like you, the thought of like chicken that like you cooked yesterday, eating that out of the fridge or like anything like that, it just does not go over well. No, not at all. Oh my God. It was terrible, but things got way easier in the second trimester. And even the third, I just stayed feeling really comfortable the whole time. I did start to get tired again toward the end of the third trimester, but still never as bad as the first. So really it was just the first trimester that I was like, oh my God, will I ever feel normal again? And I did. There is an end in sight. <laughs> yeah. So I know you're really active and everything like that. So how was, you know, maintaining exercise throughout pregnancy? What are some like, I guess if you have any tips, just especially with being a trainer um, and things that you kind of modified that really helped you to stay active while, you know, of course there are things that you can't do being pregnant and, you know, just being safe with exercise throughout pregnancy. Yeah. I continued to work out six days a week um, through my entire pregnancy, but I did just modify what I did. So one thing that people will tell you to modify that I didn't was running. And that's just because I've been running since I was 11 years old. I have a long history there. So I felt comfortable continuing to run safely. Um, I did stop all forms of jumping partway through the second trimester. I stopped all um, like abdominal movements. I did continue to do planks into the second trimester, but after that, it was really just core engagement in other movements instead of doing core specific movements. Um, and I continued with weightlifting and high intensity interval training just at a much lower intensity. Uh, what I really focused on was just 
the basic movements. So making sure I was squatting, pushing, pulling, um, and hinging. So just like kettlebell swings, squats, um, overhead press, things like that. I did have to stop doing push-ups at a certain point too. I, for a while I was just elevating them. Um, but then that got to be too difficult. It was challenging in the sense that like throughout the exhaustion I was feeling in the first trimester, I really didn't want to work out sometimes, but the biggest piece of advice that I have is that I always felt better afterward. So anytime that I was feeling kind of crappy and just feeling pregnancy symptoms, a workout always made me feel better. And I just tried to remember that before I would do it. Like sitting on the couch tended to make me actually feel worse. So getting up and being active was great. And then the only other thing I would say is if you're not active before you're pregnant, I wouldn't recommend starting (laughs) once you get pregnant. You should really try to lay a foundation first and then try to maintain as much of that as you can and really just listen to your body, what's comfortable for you um, and try not to like add anything new to your routine at that point. Yeah. I love that you said that. I think that's very important because you know, your body is already going through so many changes and trying to grow a baby. So to add in exercise, if you're somebody who has never exercised, definitely, you know, you might want to hold off until your postpartum to go ahead and do that. Um, did you find that your weight with you, like throughout your movements, you had to decrease your weight a lot throughout pregnancy? Yeah, I definitely did. Um, I also, it kind of coincided with when COVID hit, but I went from working out in a CrossFit gym regularly to working out from my house. And I only had dumbbells at my house and I used to use barbells at the gym. So I likely would have continued to scale regardless. Um, but only having the dumbbells meant I was going to have to really lower my weights a lot. Um, so I would regularly deadlift like somewhere around 200 pounds in the gym. And at home I was doing like a single leg deadlift with a 35 pound dumbbell. Definitely pretty scaled back. Right. And just kind of piggybacking off of this and kind of backtracking a little bit, did you do anything, um, you know, before you actually got pregnant to prepare your body, any like in physical, physical things to prepare your body for pregnancy? I didn't do anything different than what I had already been doing. I would say, um, just continued to be active and then maintain that throughout. Um, I did during pregnancy start working on different breathing techniques to, especially toward the end to make sure that I was prepared to be able to like relax my body in labor, but I didn't do anything specific physically to leading up to pregnancy. Yeah. When you say like that breathing work, um, I have, I I've seen a lot of people and on Instagram and everything that doing, um, and I I need to do my own research on this because I truly do not know much about it, but, um, it's like the breathing core work to engage your TVA and everything. Is that what you mean when you say you did a lot of that? Yes. And usually when you're breathing, like the way that you're supposed to breathe when you're in labor or you would know this better than I do, but the research that I did was just saying that like when you breathe in, it's kind of the opposite of the way you would usually do things. I'm trying to think of how to explain this. (laughs) So I'm used to when I breathe in my core kind of coming in. Okay. You would do the opposite of that. So you would, when you breathe in, letting everything expand and then relaxing that way. And then when you yeah, breathe out, then you, then you engage your core more. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. So now tell us about going into labor. 
Like what, first off, before you go into that, what did you have planned for your labor? And then you can kind of go into, you know, how it actually went down. Yeah. So I planned on having a totally natural birth experience, just unmedicated, um, no epidural, no medical intervention unless absolutely necessary. Um, so I wanted to labor at home for as long as I could and then go in to the hospital and have the baby hopefully relatively soon once I got in there. Um, and what ended up happening was <laughs> by the time I hit my due date, I didn't have the baby and I had to go in for um, appointments after that so that they could continue to monitor, like make sure the baby was safe and make sure that I was able to continue on with my pregnancy because I also didn't want any induction. So I went in on my due date and was looked at. Um, they checked her fluid levels or checked my fluid levels. They checked her um, lung growth and a few other like growth checkpoints to make sure that she was safe in there. And everything checked out. They were like, yeah, everything looks good, but we still recommend induction at the 41 week mark. So let's put something on the, on the calendar. And I was like, wait, what? You just told me everything was good. Um, I wasn't expecting you to say I need to induce. I, I thought I could continue on being pregnant until like she comes. And hopefully that's not at like the 43 week mark or something like that. I knew they would get really antsy around week um, 42. So Basically, I put an induction date in the calendar, <laughs> didn't feel great about it, called back, said, hey, I just really don't want to get induced. Can we switch my induction appointment to um, something where you are like monitoring, just doing a non-stress test, and then um, if anything needs to happen, then we can induce, but I want to be checked out at least one more time and um, try to do this naturally if at all possible. And then... So the date that I had the induction scheduled for was, um, oh, so then they, they let me push back the induction date was what happened. So I pushed back the induction date to the 28th at 7 p.m. That day, I then said, you know what, I still don't feel comfortable with the induction. Let's just, um, can you bring me in for it? the non-stress test tomorrow? And they were like, yep, okay, we'll do that. So then that night, the night that my induction was originally going to be scheduled for, um, I ended up going into labor one hour before I would have <laughs> ended up having the induction. So I was really glad that I moved it because then I was, it would have been cutting it really close on if they would have tried to progress me along, not naturally. So I go into labor on my own at home with non-painful contractions. This was at like 7 p.m. I just noticed that my stomach was tightening repeatedly. So I started timing them. They were happening about every 10 minutes. Um, and this had happened a couple of other times at this point. So I was like, Oh, I don't know if I'm actually having the baby or not. Like I just need to keep monitoring because the previous two times that I had had any contractions, they went away within pretty much an hour. So this time they kept coming and they started to get harder. I would say around 9 PM was when they started to get uncomfortable and I started laboring on um, like a birthing ball at home. And that was really helping me get through it. Then um, around 10 PM, my husband was like, let's try and go to bed and just get what sleep we can before we have to bring you in. So we go and lay down. And I was like, I cannot even lay down through these contractions. They're starting to get really, really uncomfortable. So I called the hospital. They told me to continue timing. Um, and then when they were coming, 
every six minutes for two hours then to um, call them and they would send me in. So that started happening pretty much right after I called them. I like took a bath, um, was super uncomfortable. My husband took a nap basically. And then at midnight I called them again and was like, Hey, I hit that marker. I think I need to come in. And they were like, okay, yeah, come on in. And then, so I got to the hospital and it took quite a while for us to get like checked in and up in our room and everything just because of all of like the COVID procedures. Usually you would have um, someone valet the car so we could just get right up to the room, but they had to send my husband out to find a parking space and everything and come back in. And then we had to get um, like our temperatures checked, answer all the questions, and then finally get taken up to the room. I get put in triage and that's where they were checking my dilation and everything. Triage also took a little while just because they brought me in, set me up and said, okay, we'll be back to check on your dilation. And I had multiple very painful contractions while I was in triage and I was just by myself. And I will say, I don't feel like I was very prepared for how painful it really was. I didn't go in with a plan of like, Hmm, I'm going to follow this breath work specifically. Um, I was just like, okay, I'm not going to get any medication. I'm just going to power through anything that happens which might not have been the best idea because it that can work short term, but you know, labor, except with those first babies, it, it can be long. Yes. And it was unlike anything I've ever experienced pain wise. People were like, yeah, can you accurately tell me what a contraction feels like? And I'm like, no, I can't. I can just tell you it hurt unlike anything I have ever experienced. And when they started getting super close together, it was horrible. So they started to get really, really painful and really, really close together. And I was having like, like frequent bowel movements at this point too. So it was just super, I was overall super uncomfortable. And I, this was all happening like in triage by myself. Um, so then by the time the girl comes in and checks on me, she's like, okay, you're four centimeters dilated. Do you want an epidural? And I was like, no, I'm planning on having a natural experience, but I'm actually starting to rethink that because these are getting super uncomfortable. And she's like, okay, well, just like, let me know. And I had another contraction and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Give me the epidural. Um, I'm not going to get a medal if I like go through this entire experience um, without an epidural. And I need to rest at this point if I'm going to make it through the pushing part, because at this point it's like between one and 2 AM and I hadn't slept since I went to bed the night before. And I know it's common for people to be up for like well over 24 hours but I also know I don't do well on little sleep. And I was like, I, I need to rest. Just give me the epidural. So she sets me up to get the epidural and everything. And I felt like it took a long time for me to get the epidural. And it's funny. I was just listening to your podcast about um, things labor and delivery nurses wish you knew. And you say it takes 45 minutes to get the epidural because I was expecting like instant relief at this point. And instead <laughs> I'm still in excruciating pain. And my nurse <laughs> is just like walking around with this stuff hooked up to me, holding it in the bathroom with me as I continue to have like bowel movements and intense contractions. And I'm like, okay, where is this epidural? Because <laughs> I am dying. And I didn't think I was going to be having these bowel movements anymore because I was going to be in bed, unable to move. So please make this happen. I didn't like say anything. I was just like, oh my gosh, when is this going to come? So I get the epidural, um, feel pretty much immediate relief. And it freaks me out to be numbed, but it didn't freak me out in this case. 
I don't know why, maybe because I was just so tired. Um, but once I got the epidural, they like set me up in my own room and everything. And like I said, that process took quite a while. So it was after two o'clock in the morning at this point. Um, and they lay me down in the bed and I've got the straps around myself monitoring my heart rate, Stella's heart rate and my contractions. I no longer knew I was having contractions, which was wild uh, to me because they went from being like a nine out of 10 on a scale of pain to I had to look at the monitor to see that I was even having them. So as that's all happening, they like lay me down after the epidural and maybe two minutes later, the room floods with people. And I'm like, what is going on? And no one's saying anything, just like you said in your podcast. Yeah, we just get into this zone and we start flipping you right and left and putting things on you. And we're, it's, it's terrible. I, yeah, we don't say anything. <laughs> I was just like, what is going on? Why are all of a sudden six nurses in here? I don't understand. Did something go wrong with the epidural? Like, just all sorts of thoughts flooding my mind. And then after a couple minutes of them like situating me and flipping me over, the doctor comes in, uh, introduces herself because this is the first time I'm seeing the doctor. And she says, okay, your baby's heart rate is dropping. So we're just going to move you into different positions and see if that helps. Um, so they flip me, it helps for a little bit. And then the pattern just continues. So her heart rate continued to drop. They would flip me. Um, it would bring relief for a little while and then it would happen again. And basically this went on for probably close to two hours before the um, doctor came in and said, we can't identify a pattern with why your daughter's heart rate keeps dropping. It's on some of your contractions. It's not on all of them. It doesn't provide long enough like relief when we move you from side to side um, we need to, oh, actually after like the first hour, they were, wanted to make sure that like the strap was actually monitoring her properly and wasn't just not picking up her heart rate. So they broke my water and put something on her head to monitor. And that's when they were able to confirm like, yeah, her heart rate's definitely dropping. So after another hour of that, they were just like, we can't identify pattern. It just seems that she's not tolerating the stress of labor. Well, maybe she's laying on the um, umbilical cord and that's what's causing it but it would be weird if that's the case because we keep moving you to different positions and this is still happening so she's like do you understand why I'm recommending that you get a c-section and I was like yeah I mean at this point if she's not doing well we just got to do what we got to do and I had no plans on like having a c-section I had done no research into what a c-section was like I was just like why would I need a C-section? I am in great health. I am like very well prepared for this. There's, I don't want a C-section. I'm not going to have one. Didn't even know that your child's heart rate dropping could be a cause of you getting a C-section. Just the number one cause of C-section for, you know, if you don't have a planned C-section because babies, you know, breach or something abnormal, um, yes, the, the number one cause is always, you know, the babies, they, I always tell my patients that your baby controls your world before they're even here. And that really applies in labor, you know, because it is, it's almost every time we call a C-section that was not planned is always because that baby is not tolerating labor. I had no idea. Well, I'm refreshed to hear that. Yeah. Um, in the moment, it was really stressful because I was like, why is my daughter's heart rate dropping? What's wrong with her? Like, what needs to happen? What's the C-section going to be like? And then the other 
immediate thought in my head was, oh no, this is going to mean a longer and harder recovery for me, which is what I didn't want, <laughs> which selfish thought, but true. Um, and I get into the C-section room and everything that took another little while. So it was around 5 AM that I finally ended up having her. Um, and since it wasn't technically an emergency, my husband was able to come in with us. And the good thing about all of this was since I got the epidural, I could stay awake during it, which was, I would have been panicking a lot more if they put me under. So I think that's kind of the blessing in disguise of me getting the epidural, even though I originally didn't want it. I feel like everything kind of happens for a reason. And that was the reason. Um, so they cut me open around 5 a.m. Everyone was super nice and super supportive. Um, and they said when they broke my water, they said that there was no meconium, but when they cut me open, they were like, oh yeah, there is. So that could have been at least a sign that she was stressed in there. Um, she was also nine days late, so <laughs> they can have their first poop in utero when that happens. But they, as soon as they made the incision, I heard um, whoever was doing the surgery say, there's nothing wrong with the umbilical cord. There's no pressure on it. I don't know why um, her heart rate was dropping. So we don't know. She just wasn't tolerating stress very well. Um, so they took her out. There was a little pause and then all of a sudden she was crying and I was a little bit sad about this part, but they had to like take her away to clean her up and check on her and everything and then give her to me. What I had always pictured in my head was like immediate skin to skin, trying to feed her right away and start that bond. But I mean, I really couldn't have that happen because I was flat on my back. The only part of my skin that was exposed was my face really. Um, so I did feel a little weird when I had her. I felt like, I also felt I was a little out of it because I was pumped full of drugs to be able to get cut open. Um, so that to me was kind of the saddest part that it, I just didn't have that immediate like, oh my gosh, I have a baby. I was just like, where is she? I don't even know what she looks like. When can she come over here? Um, so my husband got to hold her first and then a few minutes later they were able to like bring her over and, um, put her on me because I requested skin to skin. So they basically like put her on my face kind of thing, had her touch me that way. Um, and it was super cute. But then the next couple hours were kind of a blur because <laughs> whatever medicine they were pumping in me made me feel like I was going to pass out. So I just kept asking like, I'm going to pass out. Can I please like fall asleep. And they kept saying, no, <laughs> you have to stay awake. We have to make sure everything's okay. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to stay awake. I am definitely going to pass out. So my husband had to keep feeding me ice chips <laughs> while we were in like the recovery room. And that kept me awake. Um, and then we went on to our own room and everything was exciting from there. I was able to end up breastfeeding her in that recovery room. So it all like worked out in our, our bond went well after that. Yeah. So how was, um, cause you did say, you know, you said that one of your first thoughts was that the healing was going to be worse. How I know, you don't, I know you really can't compare it to like vaginal, but how would you say, you know, just from your perspective, how the healing compared to at least what you thought it would be with a C-section? Yeah. I had heard from a lot of people who were like unable to sit up, unable to get out of bed on their own, like couldn't really walk around. And I actually didn't have that experience it has been extremely smooth. Um, and it was super quick. I got up and walked around in the hospital 
they make you get up and walk around like I think 24 hours after the something like maybe 12 hours 24 24 after the surgery so they had me like get up it depends I mean normally um they'll get you up first at 12 hours so I mean I I guess it just kind of depends on the exact hospital and the anesthesia they use yeah and I just don't remember because those two days in the hospital were quite a blur but um yeah, they had me get up and take a shower. And I mean, I didn't feel great by any means, but I was able to get up. And then the next day or the next time I got up, I did get up and like do some laps in the hospital. So I was able to walk around on my own, very easily sit up on my own. I had heard from people who couldn't breastfeed because they couldn't comfortably sit um, after a C-section. And I didn't have that experience. Um, And I'm wondering if it's just because I was so active that my like core muscles were just stronger and there were more core muscles that I could use to sit myself up instead of just right where they sliced. So I'm not sure what exactly contributed to it, but things were really smooth. Um, the day we came home, I went for a walk with my husband. It was like less than a mile and it was super slow. But by the end of the second week, I was taking Stella for three mile stroller walks. Oh, so wow. yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome I mean yeah most I think I think a lot of it is like you said you know of course anybody who is active and in you know good shape and healthy no matter what type of surgery or you know health health issues you ever run into your recovery is always going to be faster and easier and better let's say you had knee surgery you know being somebody who's active and takes health seriously your recovery and knee surgery is going to be so much easier than somebody who isn't active doesn't exercise doesn't eat well I think a lot of it's like that and especially you know your core muscles but also it's determination you know it's it's how bad you want to resume back to that normal life it's you know some I I feel like sometimes you can just tell even taking health out of it you just have some patients who are really determined they want to get up they want to take care of their baby they want to move around they want to feed themselves and you know they want that independence back and then you have some patients who you know they're like oh I just got a major surgery I don't want to get up I don't want to walk I want you to do everything for me and it's really true I mean it's a lot of it is how badly you want to regain that independence and you know heal from it yeah and I definitely wanted to feel like I was resuming like normal life as quickly as I possibly could so I feel like the recovery was super smooth just because of that, that determination and that, um, just maintaining an active lifestyle. So I, if anyone has to go through a C-section, I wouldn't say like push yourself to do things that you like aren't comfortable doing, but I would say getting up a little bit every day will probably end up helping you in the long run, especially because like just the blood flow that you get from getting up and moving probably helps speed up that recovery a little bit too. So I ended up getting, I had my, um, my follow-up uh, OBGYN appointment at four weeks, a little over four weeks, and I was cleared to resume activity at that appointment. Okay. So, yeah. So it went much, much better than I expected. Yeah, yeah most times, um, you know, especially with C-sections, they really don't approve much activity at all before six weeks. So you getting cleared for basically anything at four weeks, I mean, that definitely is a very, very ha- fast um, healing track that you took. Yeah. And now I'm back to, I'm at eight weeks postpartum now. I'm back to lifting, back to running, definitely like lighter and slower um, than I was doing before, but already back at activity and nothing has bothered my um, scar at all, or even like felt a little bit off. Cause if it did, I would stop. 
but everything has felt really good so far. Yeah, I like that about, you know, that's why I knew I wanted to have you come on here just because I do see you, you know, always posting such positive things on Instagram all the time. And I, I had known kind of that, you know, obviously this section was not what you were planning. Um, but I feel like you just have such a good positive outlook that, you know, a lot of people need to hear because I, I, you know, being a labor nurse, I have it happen all the time with patients who, you know, may plan unmedicated or at least just a vaginal birth and, you know, they end up with the C-section and a lot of times, and I'm sure you felt, you know, in the moment and even, you know, for a few days afterwards, you kind of felt like you, you kind of got like gypped out on that experience in a way and you pr probably felt pretty disappointed, but it's, you know, it's so refreshing and good to hear, you know, long-term how you say, you know, it was not anywhere near as bad. And there were so many good things hidden throughout the story that now you retelling it, even like you getting the epidural and getting to stay awake and getting at least a little bit of skin to skin in the OR and being able to breastfeed in your incision healing so well, you know, going from what you had planned to getting basically the opposite of it, but you being able to literally pick out so many amazing things that still happened in the end. And I think you will agree to this. And I always tell my patients this, that, you know, in the end, we want, we want your birth plan to go as you plan. We want to give you exactly what you want, but in the end, overriding all of that is to have a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And that's really what you will remember out of your birth experience. I'm sure you can, you know, relate to that, that in the end, you might not have got what you wanted, but you have a beautiful, healthy baby girl and you are clearly very healthy and four weeks postpartum all the way back to all your exercise. So that's really the most important thing. Yeah. That's pretty much exactly how I felt about the whole thing. Um, the first few days were really hard and I was like embarrassed because I was pretty public about the fact that I wanted an unmedicated birth. And then I was like, well, now I ended up with a C-section and like my nightmare before going into this was going through labor and still ending up with a C-section. Cause then I'm like, wow, you get like the worst of everything. You have to go through all of the pain and then you get cut open and have like a longer recovery, but truly birth it's like, it's important because it's like, I mean, you only experience it for however many kids that you end up having. And typically if you have a C-section on your first kid, you will end up having C-sections from there on out. That's still TBD for me. I don't know if that's the route I'll take. That was going to be one of my questions is what your plan is for the next. I would love to try for a vaginal birth, but I just don't know if I can do the trauma of like laboring to get cut open again. It's just it's a risk. It's like, yes. I'm and to set myself up. Yeah. Yes. And to set myself up for all of that. And then to just be like, kind of let down again. I don't know. And I also had a really hard time with like not knowing when she was coming and her coming nine days late. So my mentality might be better if I know exactly when she's going to come too, if I have to have a scheduled C-section. So I'll think a little bit more about that one, but Basically, the disappointment has subsided um, a lot now because while it is such a big event, it is such a small part of having the actual child. Like, even pregnancy feels like such a small part. It feels like a distant past compared to, like, having her. So as monumental as it can feel, it's not the biggest deal. Right. Yeah, I like, I like how you said that, especially because – you have, you know, I mean, at least for the next 18 years, you are 100% responsible for this child. And labor is literally, labor and delivery, you know, it's important, but it's like a couple hours, you know, of the grand scheme of your child's whole life. You're, I like how you pointed that out. It is such a small time frame and all of that. Yeah, for sure. So will there always be like a little disappointment in the sense that I like didn't get what I wanted? Sure. I'm used to 
being the type of person that like gets what I want. But in an, in a situation like this, there's just nothing you can do. And the doctor actually said that when she recommended the C-section, she's like, do you understand that there's nothing you could have done differently and nothing we could have done differently? This is just what's happening. And I was like, okay, like I kind of needed to hear you say that because I did have thoughts in the moment of like, oh my God, is this happening because I got the epidural? Like if I didn't get it, would she maybe be tolerating labor better? And is there a slight chance that that's the case? I don't know. We'll never know. But basically there's a lot of positives that came out of it. And it's like already not nearly as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be that I had a C-section. Yeah. Yeah. I like your vulnerability though, with even sharing the fact that, you know, you were open about it on social media and it was kind of hard for you to then be like, actually, this is what happened. But you know, that's, it's, it's the reality of, you know, of labor and birth and delivery. It really is. And you know, your, your take on it is just so positive. And it's, it's just like your doctor said, truly, like it wasn't any, it was completely out of your hands. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely true. There's nothing you could have done to prepare your body better or, you know, nothing you could have changed had you gotten the epidural or not gotten it. I, you know, it really was just kind of, yeah, out of your hands. Yeah. Just how it happened. And now she's like perfectly healthy in every way. Every pediatrician appointment goes amazingly. So there's no like reason that this happened and there's nothing like wrong with her or anything like that. It was just how the situation happened. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate you coming on here and just being vulnerable and real with us. And you definitely dropped so much good wisdom in your birth story and just the positivity that you maintained throughout it. What would you say are your two biggest takeaways from, it can be, you know, from preparing for pregnancy, throughout pregnancy, labor, delivery, postpartum, just kind of your two biggest, even like tips for moms or, you know, soon to be moms. Yeah. Um, I think one of them would be like, if you're planning to have a natural birth, have an actual plan of what you will do during labor so that you can manage that pain instead of just what I did, which was think I would just grind through it. Um, like have either some sort of breathing technique or some sort of meditations, like something prepared, especially for those moments when you're going to be alone, because I think I would have been a little bit stronger. Um, and, and my conviction to not have the epidural, if I had my husband with me, he would have been like, you don't want this. Um, and like, I'm here for you. I'm able to support you. But having just spent so much time alone, you'll need something in your mind to help you get through that. Um, and then on the motherhood side of things, it took a while for me to spend any time without Stella. And truly, like people have been having babies forever. Look at how many adults there are. The baby will survive with someone else watching it. I could leave her with Colin to go to the grocery store and like everything will be fine. And that actually gives them time together that they might not usually get because I'm so attached to her. I think it's kind of hard to leave the baby when you're breastfeeding because you're always like, oh my God, what if she needs to be fed? Well, if you just get to a point where you have like a bottle in the fridge or have some pumped milk, then you can definitely leave the baby or they can go like a certain amount of time without eating between feedings. And you just have to like plan when you're going to leave. If, if you're not interested in pumping, if you just want to exclusively breastfeed, you would have to really time when you'd want to leave, but you need to be able to like resume regular life and take some of that time for yourself and, and not feel bad about it 
and I would say it's been very freeing to know that I can do that. Like right now, um, Stella is out for a walk with Colin as I'm here doing this podcast. So just don't feel guilty about that. Know that it's necessary and you'll end up being a better mom for it. Yeah. Those are both really, really good two tips. I like that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And if you have to decide to have some extra more babies in the future, we'll definitely have to have you back on the podcast to share those stories too. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your entire experience with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, make sure to head over to Instagram and follow at what the bump podcast to keep up to date with all things on the podcast. I usually post in my story every time there's a new episode and all things like that. You can also find Christine on Instagram at sweat with stods. So that's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S. Make sure you go ahead and check out her Instagram. Follow her. She posts amazing workouts, amazing content, positivity, motherhood, all things. And I just love her account and love following her. So make sure you go check out her Instagram as well. And we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And I will see you next week to talk more about the bump. And of course, I know you all probably know this, but I have to add it in. I make every effort to broadcast correct information through this podcast, but I'm still learning so much. So I am in no way providing medical advice through this podcast, just sharing the things that myself and others have experienced or learned. Make sure to consult your physician before taking anything from this podcast and changing your health. This applies to any guests or contributors that I also have on this podcast. Thank you. And I will see you next week.